Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. Um, I think that we should rename this podcast Two Pastors Who Used to Take a Walk <laughs> Sometimes Make a Podcast because things are just not heading in the right direction. But Well, much but, of life is off yeah. these days. Right. We're just... Trying to make it, but uh, what's Listen, astonishing like, you? I was going to say, like a lot of people, we're just doing what we can when yeah. we can, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's astonishing you? What's astonishing me? Well, I'm astonished um, by you know how God just works things out um, in a way that is surprising, yet simple um, and beautiful and uh, powerful. As you know, we have partnered with a group called Innovative Learning, and their mission is to um, advance the education of children in our neighborhood and throughout the city of Charlotte, especially children who you know, need more resources. And especially during the season of COVID, they've been especially intentional about finding a safe place for kids who need access to technology, especially Wi-Fi. And our church has partnered with this organization, and we are uh, housing them um, on our campus, and they are amazing people and do wonderful work, and we are so blessed to have them, and um, I have um, become friends with the executive director, who is a wonderful human being and a beautiful believer, and um, I got a call from one of our elders <laughs> several weeks ago, and uh, this elder was in the building, and she heard someone singing and went to investigate and behold, it was the director of innovative learning. Um, and this director's name is Belinda. Well, we have discovered that Belinda um, not only can sing, she has led choirs, she has been a worship leader, she has a gospel group called The Worship Experience. And so I've had a conversation with her over the past couple of weeks and last Saturday I spent six hours with Belinda and the worship experience in our church sanctuary. And they simply sang songs um, and allowed me to record them, singing these wonderful, amazing, energetic, beautiful, moving, inspirational gospel songs. And let's see, seven people showed up on a Saturday with no, um, no kind of payment, um, simply, you know, breakfast is all we provided for them. And, um, I mean, three musicians and four singers and just did an amazing job and so very grateful that they would offer their gifts to advance the mission of Dorado Church and they're members of other congregations. Um, but they know that we are in a season of transition. Our style has been Christian pop. And because mm -hmm. we are a historically white neighborhood in uh, a predominantly African-American community, we see the need to shift toward a more gospel sound, but we don't have anyone under our roof who really has that expertise. And uh, so they said, well, let us give you some things. And we're even, we're even toying with the idea of them 
walking with us for a season to help us transition. Mm -hmm. And so that, I mean, I could not have made that happen, right? That, that's just a simple, powerful, beautiful gift uh, from God through his people. And um, I'm grateful and astonished by it. Yeah, I think what's so great about that story is like for people who are trying to lead congregations through transition, um, no matter what that looks like, like, I just, I mean, that resonates with so many parts of our story at the Grove, that there were just moments along the, along the way when God provided for us um, and we just couldn't provide for ourselves. And I think a lot of times when we see sort of... Um, as leaders of communities, um, when we see sort of the gap between where we are and where we're supposed to be, and when we have an honest self-evaluation of knowing that like what is needed is not in us, like that can be one thing that gets us stuck. And we just think like, well, I know that this way is what we're calling to, but I can't figure out, or I don't have, or I don't know. Therefore, there's just no point in taking any steps along the way. And, and you know, I definitely experienced that um and specifically when it came to music um and worship and you know you just have to take the step of faithfulness and trust that god will provide and be willing to um, receive the gifts that god gives you even if they don't um look the way you expected them to or if they're not permanent solutions right like i think there's this temptation for us to say like well this is great but it's only a temporary gift and so it won't help and so you know and i just think that all, everything about this journey of transformation is so much about being willing to be vulnerable and being willing to do something that isn't going to work unless god is faithful and that's and we've talked about this a million times like depending on your personal experience of faith that just might not be something that you've ever mm -hmm. had to walk through before but again when we think about the church as the body of Christ, and when we think about what God's desire for us is to give us new life, um, then the idea that there might be some of these experiences that are challenging and uncomfortable, but that ultimately, like, would it be good in God's eyes for us to learn to trust God and not our own hard work or our own accomplishments? Like, I think we would prefer to take the route where we can just trust in our own hard work and our own accomplishments, but I don't think that that's what God desires for us. And that even if there are times along this journey when what we're doing doesn't look successful or feel successful, it might be incredibly fruitful because it changes who we are as people following Jesus. And so I just, I think that's just a really helpful thing for us to continue to articulate now, because when I was going through this and when we've been going through this before, like a lot of times when you get to this point where there that where there is that gap between what you know and what you have and where you need to be, you just experience it as failure or a stop sign. And I think it's really important for people to recognize like, no, this is how it happens. Like and it happens differently in every context, but this is how it happens. We we just get to places where we're like, I don't know what to do next. I only know that I have to take this next step. And um just because you don't know how, where your help is going to come from, isn't your excuse to turn back, you know, and go back to Egypt. So I, well, I and this discipline that you and I have of regularly looking for um, 
God's astonishing work. If you're not looking for it, open to it, you could easily miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and easily miss, like, I mean, part of the ways that God brought this gift into the life of your community was your community saying like, well, we don't know how we're going to survive. We don't know what's next, but we do know that we have this resource and here's a group doing something that will be a blessing to our neighborhood. And so it doesn't solve all our problems, Mm -hmm. but faithfulness looks like saying yes to innovative learning. Right. And not because. And even before that, um, the reason we established or came into a relationship with them was that one of our elders, the same elder who heard Belinda singing, was in her living room one evening watching the news and Belinda was on the news saying, hey, we can't meet in the school system uh, or in any of the schools like we're accustomed to because of COVID and we're looking for a place. We need a place to meet. And this elder said, well, why not us? And called yeah. her. Um, yeah. And that, that one step of faithfulness opened up so many yeah. gifts. But I think the underlying thing that we often miss is so often in popular culture, faith is presented as certainty or mm-hmm. as, you know, as like an absolute value that can't be crossed or, you know, and, and in, and in reality, walking in faith often feels like, feels messy and feels mm-hmm. uncertain. And, and so I think we often miss that when we feel most overwhelmed and insecure, that might be a sign of how very, very faithful we are being and allowing God to lead us past our own limits, our own desires, our own abilities. Yeah, what I'm learning once again is that faith is this mixture, right? If you look at Hebrews 11, it says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. So Mm -hmm. on the one hand, it's not totally blind. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, it's not certainty. So there's right. this mix of, okay, I have some evidence uh, of, you know, I know something about the character, of, the character mm-hmm. of God. I know something about the ways of God. And so I have some evidence that if I step in this direction, something good may happen. Do I have certainty? No. So therefore, there's some anxiety about stepping in a particular direction. But what I think is so great about you naming this is it's just important to like really connect the dots between like, mm-hmm. oh, we took a step of faith and now let's notice and be astonished and have sort of holy awe Mm. about God's provision. And let's recognize that God provides us in way for us in ways that we didn't plan for or work for and begin to like really then be able to take a step of doing the next faithful thing. Even when we're not sure, you know, how it will work. Cause this is meant to be a way of life. Right. And it's, it's a, meant to be a way of life of radical vulnerability mm. before the goodness of God. Because obviously I'm thinking about our scripture text already about the Annunciation. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's just very, very analogous to that. Like, so what's astonishing you? Uh, I mean, I think honestly, and, and I might have mentioned this last time we talked, um, you know, I still obviously am um, going through... Um, this huge period of shift and change after my father's death and just trying to figure out, I mean, just whatever, trying to adjust and feel all my feelings. And, um, and I think in the midst of all of the sadness and just pain of it, um, 
I am astonished at how incredibly um, good and healing and powerful it is when people reach out and like just express love and care and concern. And it's funny because I, you know, people, I mean, will send cards or texts or Facebook messages. I mean, it's, you know, it is not usually this big grand gesture. And usually people say something like, um, I know words can't help, or I know there are no words, or I know that words won't make things better. And I, I just am so struck by the fact that um, that is both obviously true and so untrue that like words, even words when you say you don't have any words or even words just acknowledging like you're hurting right now and I, I see you or what, I mean, it's just, I mean, I just have been really astonished and amazed at how um, the community, the body of Christ, mm-hmm. like just saying what's real and, and expressing love those words that are often presented as these won't matter, but I'm giving them to you anyway, but they really do matter and they really do make a difference. And um, I mean, I think that obviously that's, that's about the people who are reaching out, but it's also just so much about God. And, and I'm really like, I just have been, I am not even sure what it all means to me yet, but I've just been thinking about that, how, how words, even though they don't change reality, change how, I personally can face reality or, or, you know, grow and heal in reality and thinking about that in the context of Jesus being the word of God and just wondering sort of what, what connection um, there is in that and how, you know, you, you can know, and I do know that people love me and, and I'm grateful for that. I don't take that for granted, but like how someone saying that really just, the act of expressing it is so powerful and just, I don't know. I'm just astonished at that. I think I'm more in the pondering it in my heart mm. phase and wow. trying to figure out what, what that's revealing to me about how, who we are and how we're created and, and how we um, like a tool that we have in the body of Christ. So that is what is astonishing me. Just these, um, these just signs of love and solidarity and, and how powerful they are. Wow. Sounds like um, a sermon series developing about words, the power of words. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, um, I I just, you know, I, I mean, again, I I feel like I've been talking about this a lot. So maybe I talked about it last time we recorded, but I, you know, I have often made those same gestures and, and made them in sincerity and also made them because they were, what you're supposed to do, but not really understood, like not really believed that they would make a difference, which is then sometimes where you don't make them because you just think like, I would do this if it would make a difference, but it's not really going to make a difference. So why bother? Or, you know, and, and, or the words that we don't say, because we're just not certain that they're perfect. And we're afraid they like, it's funny how we're so certain that the wrong words could powerfully mess things up, but, but not as certain that right words can yeah i mean it's just an interesting so i'm just thinking about the power of words and how they can be something even if they're not everything and um and what it means that jesus is identified as the word of god um so i don't know people can 
at us with their deep theological insights as well. But that's what's astonishing me and I'm grateful. So what are you thinking about? Oh, what am I thinking about? I am in the season relearning or learning for the first time. I'm not quite sure. Um, I mean, you know, you, you, well, it's kind of what you were just um, talking about. You, you know, some things in your head, but then um, you come to a place in life where you begin to experience and um, there's just another level of learning there. And for me, it's um, about, uh, well, this, the season has revealed some of my control issues. And, and, and here's the, the, <laughs> the problem is that my, I self-identify as a nice person, right? I'm a nice guy. I don't go around causing trouble. I'm nice. I'm pleasant to be around. People like me, doggone it. And yet underneath that is someone who can be very controlling and very rigid. And um, this season has confronted me in a way that's been uh, painful um, in, in that area, uh, especially being in the house with my family and um, some issues with the church. And uh, I, we were, when we met a couple weeks ago having coffee, I mentioned that um, uh, one of the careers I flirted with was, uh, you know, being a professor of um, comparative religion. Comparative religion, yes. And even though I don't consider it a religion, it's more of a philosophy. Uh, one of uh, the Eastern philosophies that really gets my attention, uh, especially these days, is, is Taoism. And Taoism, um, uh, I mean, if you've ever, okay, so if you're a Bruce Lee fan, you'll recognize not, the, the sign. I'm not, I know. In case it was like a surprise, <laughs> I know. a shocking so, I know, but I am not a Bruce Lee fan. So Bruce Lee is famous for saying, be like water. That is, don't be set in one style, be fluid, be flexible. And that really comes out of a, a Taoist philosophy that a water is a powerful force. It is seen by many as passive. Um, it flows in the path of least resistance, and yet um, it can accomplish much, right? And so Taoism, uh, the, the philosophy says that um, there's this one universal principle or power called the, the Tao, and um, the goal of life is to be in harmony with it. And uh, uh, as a Christian, I can identify with that because if, when you translate the Chinese word Tao, it means the way. And of course, as a Christian, you know, Jesus says, I am the way. And what I have been trying to practice, especially the past month, is to let go of the control, to just flow. Um, there, there's this uh, uh, Taoist teacher who said, life is like a stream. And the problem with most people is that they're hanging on to a branch, trying to have a certain level of certainty, and life is really just passing them by. There are others who waste more energy by trying to swim upstream, 
but just go with the flow. And uh, you know this, that, you know, my child's school has recently gone back to full-time remote learning. So I am, I'm full-time um, first grade teacher and full-time pastor. And for a moment, I, I was just really overwhelmed, just trying to do everything perfectly. And I'm at a place now, at least today or this week where, you know what, I'm just, I'm just doing it. It's going to be imperfect. I'm just going to go with the flow and uh, I'm going to save myself a lot of stress. I'm going to save my family a lot of um, unnecessary fussing. Um, uh, I don't know. That's, that's just what I'm thinking about today. Just going with the flow, um, being still and knowing that God is God. I don't have to control everything. I can't control everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just I, enjoying I a, life as it comes. I have a friend who, and I can't think of who it is now, honestly, but they have a sign that they've hung over their desk, you know, since COVID started and it says lower your expectations. And I think that's a lot of what you're talking about. Like this idea that that stick that we're holding onto is our expectations mm-hmm. that, you know, could have been really reasonable nine months ago. And no matter how much we, we, <laughs> you know, we want what we want or deserve what we think we deserve. Like, it's just, you know, having expectations that are, are right expectations for the season we're in can save us a lot of suffering. Like just, you know, and I, um, it's, I mean, yeah, I just, I really resonate with that. And I, again, like coming back to that idea of people like not being able to recognize what it feels like to walk by faith and not by sight, because in, popular marketplace Christianity, faith is marketed as certainty, right? And, and as you do X and God will do Y. Mm-hmm. And like, here's the foolproof plan to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And here's, the here's how you, right. And here's, here's where you go to church and what you pray and how you worship in order to get your best life now. And here's, you know, here's the six things that if you do these to your kid, do these six things for your kids, then they will grow up to be, you know, healthy, wealthy, believe, whatever. I mean, just faith is marketed as a shortcut to certainty. And so, I mean, that's not the biblical witness at all. I mean, if you take the Bible seriously, the Bible is definitely revealing that God is good and God is faithful, but over and over just showing that how people who sincerely loved and followed God did not recognize, you know, what God was up to in the world would actively oppose God. And so, you know, this, this, idea of um, having certainty and having absolute expectations of ourselves or other people or the world is just not, you know, I think our absolutes that we walk in are God is good Mm -hmm. and um, we are loved and forgiven by God and that Jesus is our way of salvation. But having, you know, a lot of concrete ideas beyond that is going to get us in, in huge, in huge trouble. So, um, yeah, I just, I really appreciate that idea of saying like, what, what really was right in a past season is, is just not healthy or faithful in this season and figuring out, figuring that out is difficult. And knowing that like some of us might be called to really dynamic growth and change in this season. And some of us might not be that it's not a one size fits all formula. So we're not buying an iPhone here. Like we're all, 
Well, and, you know, pre-COVID, regular, quote unquote, regular life, you can cover up certain yeah. issues that you have and you can walk with them for a while and never deal with them. But then you hit a season of COVID and it just forces you to deal with stuff that's been there all along. Right, right. And some of us obviously have been more isolated and protected from the brokenness of the world and its systems than mm -hmm. others. And so I think, you know, it's, I mean, I like, if we've said it once, we've said it a thousand times. In fact, like, no one should have a drinking game where we talk about apocalypse on this podcast. <laughs> you know, like, what is happening is a huge unveiling, not just of like the evilness or wrongness of what's out there, but also just, you know, places where we are weak, where we thought we were strong and places yes. where we have been seeking strength when the Lord was calling us to, um, you know, exalt him in our weakness. And that, you know, what God has been promising us all along is not what we've been desiring. And so um, all of these spaces of revelation and the, are just apocalyptic. They're very uncomfortable for, for us. And yet, you know, God has not you know, God is not different today than God was nine months ago. And God has not broken any promises to us. God has not broken any promises. That's right. That's good. That's good. So, yeah. so what are you thinking about? Well, I am thinking about, and I, and, and I wrote about this and I think of my, I, I think it's going to be published in the um, paper soon, maybe who knows, but right now your school has gone back to remote learning. You, our kids are in different school systems. Our kids are both in public schools, but in different systems. So Charlotte Mecklenburg schools, which is where my oldest two are enrolled, they, their school board had a meeting last night and just um, voted, given the way that all of the um, metrics that the district identified during the summer, you know, they've just passed all the thresholds for when they said we, we have to you know, be under these thresholds to keep doing in-person learning. And so they have um, voted last night that starting next Monday, they'll go all the way back to full remote, which honestly won't affect my family at all because my oldest are middle school and high school and they weren't, hadn't made it back to in-person learning anyway. And I just, you know, obviously all of this is hard for everybody and people um, are just, like really legitimate, there are no, there are no good choices. So that's one thing, you know, I think that people are, um, some people are uh, really believe that um, just going back to in-person classes, maybe throwing some other bottles of hand sanitizer in the room, but other than that, just go back to in-person learning and probably nothing will happen. And if something happens, it will be less harmful than what is happening with kids in remote. And I just, you know, um, I, I was thinking about the fact that early in um, my time at the Grove, um, when we were in a real, you know, I, I, we were in a really hard space of really needing to transform the church and, and having a lot of urgency and, and the survival of the church was at stake. And I was trying to be faithful and cast vision and really, you know, do this. What we've been talking about is sort of like, how do you take the first step without knowing where the second step is? And how do you really not let your resources determine what your ministry is, but, but your, but faithfulness, but also not be an idiot, you know, I mean, just it's all a balance. And um, I was talking with some other leaders in the church one day and sort of 
saying like, hey, we need to do this and we need to get it done by that time. And um, this, I was just thinking, remembering that this guy in my church, Carl Schudel, was <laughs> like, Pastor Kate, good, fast, cheap, pick two. And I was like, what? And he's like, this is what engineers and producers know. Good, fast, cheap, pick two. You can always, um, when you have a problem and you're making solutions, your solution can always have two of those three, but it can never have three of those three. Like, so you cannot have a solution that is good, fast, and cheap, but you can have a solution that is good and fast, but it won't be cheap. You can have a solution that's fast and cheap, but it won't be good. You can have a solution that is good and cheap, but it won't be fast. And he, you know, and I was like, I don't know. I, I just had never thought about this. And then I did more reading about it. And this like really is a rubric that people, that you don't learn in seminary, but you do learn in a lot of other professions. And just, and what he was telling me was that like, I, again, had really unrealistic expectations of what was possible. And he was saying to me like, you know, Kate, you care about the quality of what we're doing. And we don't have a lot of money. So since you don't want to lower the quality and we don't have money, then it's going to take a while and you're going to have to be patient. Now, if you want to lower the quality, we can do something that's cheap and fast, but it just won't be that good. And what strikes me as we're looking at, um, and this is what I was writing about, like when we're looking at like, how do we respond to COVID, not just in the schools, but also in our churches, or, I mean, really anywhere, is we keep believing that there are good, fast and cheap solutions. And we keep getting angry at other people for like not agreeing with us. And the reality is like, they just, they don't exist. So putting all the kids back in schools would be good, would be fast and would be cheap. Like it wouldn't cost extra money and we could do it right away. But for the people who died or who got sick and lost their jobs and got evicted, the healthcare workers who were overwhelmed, the people who were in a car accident, who could like, it wouldn't be good for some people. And for the people it wasn't good for, it'd be really, really bad. But the people who are advocating for a return to in-person schooling are advocating for it as if like, there's just no cost. And anybody who doesn't want that is just an idiot who doesn't care about kids and particularly doesn't care about ironically low income kids. And I just think every time as a culture, we try good and we try fast and cheap solutions, they end up not being good for really vulnerable people. And so I just, I don't know, I'm thinking about that a lot. And I feel like as, you know, as the body of Christ, when, when Jesus is continually asking people and not just Jesus, but I mean, obviously God in writing the covenant with Israel and calling them to be salt and light saying like, I'm going to write this covenant for the way that you're going to live, not only with me, but with one another. And I'm going to continually call your attention and hold you accountable to the most vulnerable members in your society. So widows, orphans, foreign aliens, whatever, strangers. And to say, you can't do things that are fast and cheap, but like destructive for these people. And if you look at the history of the United States, like chattel slavery was a fast and cheap solution for white people, right? I mean, like built this country's infrastructure in a way that was much quicker than it could have been built otherwise. Um, and obviously cost much less than it would have cost if people had to be paid for the value of their labor, but it was not good for the vulnerable people in our society. Now, I mean, you could argue that not like spiritually or morally, but it was certainly, if 
if if good is profit, then it was good for white people, right? Mm. I mean, and the same thing with like, you know, how we dealt with indigenous people in this nation, right? Like we made treaties and then we were like, F that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we could just take this land and it'll be fast and it'll be cheap. And it, you know, it won't be good for the people that we are pushing on a trail of tears, but we decided that they're, what, what was good for them didn't matter to people who had the power to push these decisions through. And I just, I've been thinking about that and just thinking about a whole, whole wave of, of leaders who's, I think are, I, I hope, I have deep hope that their voices are, are finally beginning to be centered. Um, leaders from voices that have, of communities that have traditionally been sort of destroyed and marginalized and um, exploited in our country. And, you know, people are saying like, look, if there is a problem that is disproportionately affecting a certain segment of a society, then the solution needs to come from the people in that segment who are most being affected by it, right? Because when, when people try to solve a problem that is personally not, not that it's not affecting them, but not most affecting them, then they can come up with a solution that to them is fast, cheap, and good, but is not experienced as good on the people who are most vulnerable to all the implications of the decision. And so like in Charlotte, you know, we made a lot of development decisions in this city that were fast and cheap for white people, but not good for people mm -hmm. of color whose neighborhoods were bulldozed and were kicked yeah. out or whatever. I mean, like, mm -hmm. you know, just lots of things like the for-profit prison industry was fast and cheap for white people um, privatizing this industry, but it's not good for the people who become chattel you know, human mm -hmm. chattel in mm -hmm. that system. And, you know, resegregating our schools was fast and cheap for some powerful people in our city, but it was not good for people who ended up um, being like concentrated in a school with high needs and low resources. And so anyway, I just am thinking about that good, fast, cheap triangle and about how as the people of God, who are often enjoined to wait on the Lord, we have to be a people who, you know, sometimes are willing to say, well, I mean, obviously we're not going to um, sacrifice goodness and we, you know, may or may not have resources. And so we can't let that, you know, I just feel like too often we let the culture define good in a way that is totally unreconcilable to the witness of scripture. And then we just settle for things that are easy instead of you know real solutions that bring about goodness even if that goodness requires great expense or takes more time than we think we need so i'm thinking that's about good that. wow <laughs> so is your piece going to be published do you know i yeah i think it's going to be in the zerber this weekend i mean it's just so dumb like i just woke up in the middle of the night last night with that like i went to bed and the school board meeting was happening mm -hmm. like it lasted not five hours and i went to bed before it was over so you know i didn't even but i woke up with that memory of carl <laughs> wow good grass cheap pick two and i just remember being so annoyed <laughs> i don't need a lesson I just want whatever this new system in the sanctuary so and so it was one of those things where I just was, I just wanted to roll over and go back to sleep and I couldn't. So I finally just got up and wrote. The thing. Holy Spirit said, get up and write. Well, I mean, I, I hope it was the Holy Spirit. So I just, sleep was not coming back. So that's what I'm thinking about. So what are you preaching? 
Well, you and I are preaching <laughs> on defiant joy. We and are. The incarnation. And we had a great call yesterday on Zoom for about an hour or so. We were talking through where we are on the incarnation. And I just feel like all of these themes that we've been um, talking about today are, are themes that we said yesterday we wanted to talk about as we lifted up this idea that, um, you know, Mary is, I mean, I don't know. I have. Well, I she's both, I, she's both unique and. She's um, a prototype. And, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's a teacher for us. And she, she has this favor, right? The angel shows up, Gabriel shows up and says, you have God's favor. Um, but so and before did, that says rejoice. Rejoice, greetings, rejoice. rejoice. Highly favored one. You're highly yeah. favored. Um, but Noah was favored. Abraham was favored. David was favored, which meant that God's hand was on them for a purpose. God had right. some work for them, which um, called them into a place of vulnerability. Right. And I think that like Mary has this lesson for all of us as believers and the church in America, at least in the ways that it's been sort of colonized um, by, I mean, not to be cliched, but the patriarchy, like often we've taken Mary's story and tried to make it into a story about like chastity or purity or sexual status and you know, basically said, um, this is mainly a story just for women. And it's mainly a story just about um, how women's sexuality needs to be controlled and how God, I mean, to the extent, I mean, the point that like when I was in the library yesterday and I, I try to read, you know, the early church because whatever God has been revealing wisdom to God's church from the beginning. And so, you know, there are revelations from all the history of God's people following God. And so I, but it is hard to read the early church fathers as they talk about Mary because, you know, they, they just have all of this speculation about the fact that like the reason she was highly favored is because obviously she had taken a vow of perpetual virginity. And so she, I mean, had sex, but I mean, just all kinds of stuff that you're like, I mean, what Bible are you reading? Cause like it, you know, and, and so we've, we've taken this text and tried to make it be something smaller than it is. And I think especially for any of us who come from a tradition where we're evangelical in any way, and to talk about being um, baptized in the Spirit or born again in Christ or filled with the Holy Spirit, then we really need to see Mary as not just this like freak of nature who, who was a black swan who started everything off, but really see Mary as like she, as the one who is literally being filled with the Spirit of God in the way that made Christ flesh in the world, that she is a model for all of us who want to um, present our whole lives to God and our bodies as a living sacrifice and be baptized by the Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. That something about, or that everything about how Mary responds to this announcement mm -hmm. um, is, is normative for us as we think about how we um, follow Jesus. And so, you know, everything we've been talking about, vulnerability and not being in charge, and Mary sort of saying, like, I don't really understand how this is going to happen, but I'm your 
servant. So mm-hmm. let it be with me according to your will. And, and, and that to me just connects right back to that image of that you were saying about like holding onto a branch when you're in the stream and Mary just, you know, she thought she knew what her future looked like in front of you. And in that moment, she's like, I don't, you know, I'm letting go. <laughs> like you're clearly yeah. calling me to something that I don't understand that I can't control. And I don't know what's going to happen, but, but I'm your servant. So, you know, let servants serve their Lord. So if this is what you want me to do and be, then I'm releasing, acquiescing, mm-hmm. what, whatever language you want to do. And I, I think that's, you know, the dynamic, I think in American Christianity is like, God, let me figure you out and then I'll use you to get what I want. And yes. it's just total reversal of that. And that to me is this idea of dying to self. I was just about to say that because in the Mm -hmm. image of the stream, a stream flows and eventually loses itself into the Mm -hmm. river and the river eventually loses itself into the ocean. And Mm -hmm. so there is this constant letting go of who you think you are, what you think you want and need for a greater purpose. And ultimately, like we have to get to the point and, you know, we, we were talking early yesterday is just like, how do we like this is joy Sunday and our, and our overarching, arching theme is like defiant joy. Like, you know, and in the season where so much of what we have loved or found meaning about the anticipation and celebration of Christmas is not there for Mm -hmm. us this year. And so, you know, if you don't get to travel for family and if you don't get to do the things that you love that bring you joy, if we don't get to go into the sanctuary and light candles in the dark and sing, you know, like, can we, can we have joy? And I think, you know, the reality is if we can't, then we need to be so grateful to God for this season of joylessness because it's, it has revealed to us that our joy was not in the right things anyway, that our joy was in things that weren't bad, but are passing away. And that all these things that we love so much are, are signs. And we are supposed to not rejoice in the signs, but rejoice in what the signs signify and point to. And so- was, go, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, I was in a small group meeting last night and um, it was an online meeting and we were discussing last Sunday's sermon, which was defiant peace. And there was someone in our small group who's not a member of our church. And she said, when I saw the title of the sermon, Defiant Peace, she said, what it did for me, that word defiant helped me to stop. And she said, that word made me realize that, um, you know, things like joy, peace, and hope that are so associated with this season not only do I take for granted, but I have a very surface understanding of those things and therefore a very surface experience of them. And she said that word defiant just helped me to stop and go deeper into it. And I was so Mm -hmm. grateful for that. And I wish I could fully capture what she said last night because it was so wonderful and powerful. But yeah, that's exactly what you're, you're talking about. When I think like that, the first thing the angel says to her and Colin is on me because I'm talking about the Greek too often in these sermons, but like the first word it is often translated greetings, but the literal translation is rejoice. And so sometimes in like, like the King James or in like older Catholic traditions, you hear rejoice, highly favored one. And, mm-hmm. and like the scholars are like, well, um, it's analogous to the goodbye comes from the phrase, God be with you. And so technically when we say goodbye to people, we're saying 
God be with you, but that's not what we mean. <laughs> like we're mm-hmm, just, it's mm-hmm. just come to signify, you know, you're leaving. <laughs> I, I acknowledge that you're leaving. And so there's this understanding, like, did the angel show up and just say like, howdy, or did the angel show up and say, rejoice? And at first, like, and a lot of people and scholars are saying like, no, 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 the angel was just speaking the vernacular of the day. The angel was just saying hello, because that's how people say hello. He wasn't telling her to rejoice. But but I don't think so. I mean, I think the angel is saying rejoice. And why should you rejoice? Because you are the highly favored one and the Lord is with you. And so no matter what's going on in your life, that's where our joy comes from. Yes. And, and we, we've got to remember that Mary was not sitting around waiting for the first Christmas to happen, right? right? So in her day, they were under the foot of Rome. They were an mm-hmm. oppressed people, right? And so mm-hmm. it was it was not a happy, happy, joy, joy time. And this angel sh- shows up and says, rejoice because you are highly favored. Wait, what? What does this mean? What are you talking about? Right. And the Lord is with you and rejoice. I'm about to tell you to do this thing, which is like, I mean, best case scenario, like crazy, worst case scenario, danger and going to blow up your whole life. And we'll get you stoned. And, <laughs> right. And like, the reality is that's still good news for her. And so what, like, what does that mean? And I think that when we are mature and, you know, coming to the full stature of Christ, then where we find our joy, our hope and our peace is in what God is doing in the world. So when, when the angel shows up and says like, actually God's about to make a big move and like start the finish and you get to be involved in that, like, that's really good news. Now, if the only good news that you can see is like, I'm going to be rich someday, I'm going to be important someday, I'm going to be able to see my enemies' asses get whooped, like butts get kicked, sorry, then um, that's not going to be good news. Like, that's going to be like, I mean, okay, I guess, but not good news, not worth rejoicing over. So, so, you know, really being able to drill down to the reality of the goodness of God and find our life in that gives us freedom and this joy that, and we were saying yesterday, like that's how Paul can say, I found the secret of being able to rejoice in all circumstances because whether he's in jail or out of jail or starving or just had a seven course meal or being flogged or being celebrated, God is still good. God has still accomplished salvation in Jesus Christ. He is still favored, redeemed, and God is still using him as a part. Now, that's how he can write to the Philippians and be like, I think I'm about to be killed and I'm kind of cool with that because then I'll get to go be with Jesus and my joy will be complete. But God might spare me so I can spend some more time teaching you. And I'm cool with that too, because then I get to teach you. So like for me to live is good and to die is gain. Like he's just, because his joy is in what God has done and is doing in him. And that's the secret of Mary's like, cause I, I mean, I agree with you. Like whatever you think about what's going on in the annunciation, like it doesn't seem like a party. (laughs) Like it doesn't seem like um, nothing necessarily anything that would have to do with happiness. Yes. Um, yes. Which, whatever, I promise you, there's no way on God's green earth, any part of the sermon, I'm going to contrast the meaning of happiness with the meaning of joy, because that is the lamest preacher move ever. Someday we need to have a whole podcast about lame preacher moves. <laughs> so noted. It's a great idea. <laughs> so lame great preacher moves. Yes, there are a lot of them. There are so many of them. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Yes. We have to stop. So thank I have to so go much. back to being a first grade teacher. You know, thank you all so much for listening to us. Um, if you want to find out more about um, Derida, D-E-R-I-T-A, Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, Google it. 
and you will get popped right over to their website and you can listen to Yolanda's past sermons on their on the Podbeam website. Just search for the Derida Church podcast. And if you want to see what is happening this Sunday or in recent Sundays, you should go to their YouTube channel and subscribe. Like and subscribe, folks. And if you want to hear more about The Grove, you can check out our website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org. Um, you can look for our podcast, which is the Grove Church Podcast, which you can find on iTunes or anywhere that you get your podcast because we're big time like that. And if you are well, hang out um, with you. looking for a place to worship this Sunday or any Sunday, you can join us on Facebook at 10 o'clock, the Grove Charlotte. Um, our chat is lit. <laughs> And it's there afterwards. So lame. I'm so lame, but I'm tired and it's a pandemic. So thank you for listening. And we will. So noted lame preacher moves. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Staying your lit. That would be one of them. All right. Cut it. <laughs>